you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 260. It's titled, Is This the Reason Interest Rates Are Falling and the Global Economy Is Slowing? The day that this episode is released, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee is meeting. And all indications is they will cut their policy rate, the federal funds target rate, as well as the interest rate that the Federal Reserve pays on the reserves that banks hold at the central bank. The Federal Reserve has been on a process of raising its policy rate. It was close to zero back in 2015. Now it's at two and a half percent. And they're suggesting it could be an insurance cut to help the economy, the global economy, which appears to be slowing partially due to trade, but more importantly, and potentially due to an even more serious concern that I talked about way back in episode 134. It was a global dollar shortage. In that episode, I quoted Isabella Kaminska. She writes for the Financial Times Alphaville blog. She said global dollar shortage stands to become the most significant destabilizing force in recent times and the most unanticipated global tail risk. Now, that seems like kind of an arcane topic, and it, it's somewhat complex, but it's important because something happened in May that has not happened before. The Federal Reserve pays interest on these reserves that banks have, and generally speaking, they have set that interest rate above what's known as the effective Fed funds rate. And so banks were getting this interest. The Fed funds rate is the rate that banks charge each other to lend overnight. Because they had so many reserves, often that wasn't necessary. In an orderly monetary regime, the Federal Reserve sets the rates at once. It has a target for the effective funds rate and it has a target for the interest rate on these excess reserves. And its desire was that the rate on the excess reserves would be higher than that effective funds rate. Except beginning in March and continuing today, the federal funds rate is yielding. It's higher than that rate on those reserves held at the central bank. Why does it even matter? Does it matter? Jeff Snyder, he's the head of research at Alhambra Capital, says it matters because, quote, the Federal Reserve chose specifically to keep federal funds as its primary communication tool. Therefore, it means a great deal in the mainstream end of things. It's the one thing 
the Federal Open Market Committee is supposed to be able to control above everything else. That's what they said when sticking with it. And thus, if you don't get the things you know right, the little things, what chance for getting the bigger things right? Everything that actually does matter. Zero chance. Is the Federal Reserve losing its ability to price money to set its policy rate? If its goal was to keep the federal funds, the effective Fed funds rate below the interest rate on what it pays on reserves, and yet the Fed funds rate is actually higher than that? Why would it be higher than that? We're going to look at that in this episode to figure out, is this something we should really fear or not? LaPro and I have been spending most of our summer at our cabin east of Teton Valley up in the mountains. We hike a lot. I sometimes hike on my own, sometimes hike with LaPrille. And there's been a puzzling sound that we've heard for years and I have never been able to identify. We're out walking and it sounds like somebody is starting a Harley, a motorcycle, or perhaps a four-wheeler. And then it gets louder and louder. At some point, it gets so loud and deep in your chest. It's terrifying. It feels like you're going to get trampled. Not by a motorcycle, but by a moose or a herd of elk. And I've never been able to figure out what it was. I was hiking a few weeks ago, way up in the mountains. Somewhere where no motorcycle could get. And I heard the sound again. And I, I turned around say, I'm not going any further. I told this to my son, Brett. He looked it up and figured out what it was. It's just a bird. It's a bird called a ruffed grouse. And what it's doing, it's doing something called drumming. It's beating its wings very quickly back and forth. Last about 10 seconds, and their wings beat 50 times. And it was a boom. The way that it manipulates the air, you really feel it in your chest. I'll link to the sound, but it doesn't do it justice because you got to be there because you feel like you're going to get trampled. But it was only a bird. So here I had this fear of going further, and it turned out to be something that I could face. And yet in my own house, in our cabin, I was very comfortable. You, you mow the lawn, you do all this work, you start to get comfortable, feel like you're safe. And then a few weeks ago, a bear came walking right by our window. Black bear. And you realize, well, maybe we're not as safe as we thought. So when we look at something called a global dollar shortage, should we fear it or not? I was reminded of this topic. I did it, as I mentioned, I did it three years ago in episode 134. I said it's something we should monitor. I wasn't overly concerned about it. And then I heard two recent podcast episodes. One was an interview with Jeff Snyder from Alhambra Investments, who I've already quoted. He was on the Grant's Current Yield podcast. And then last week, Luke Groman of Forest for the Trees, LLC, he writes a newsletter he was on the Investors Podcast, and they talked about this global dollar shortage. They asked, I believe Stig asked Groman, you know, what's your biggest fear right now? What's the biggest thing that's catching your eye? And he mentioned the, it was the fact that the Fed funds rate 
was yielding more than the interest rate that the Federal Reserve was paying on those reserves. That was it. Because he felt like the Federal Reserve had lost control of the price of money. Now, this is something that occurs in what's known as the euro dollar market. There is a huge amount of offshore dollars that are used, that are being borrowed by businesses, used for working capital. They're hedging currency risk. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York has a blog called the Liberty Street Blog. They write, Another important piece of the puzzle is the offshore U.S. dollar money market, given the key role that the U.S. dollar plays in global trade and finance. Similar to domestic entities, participants located abroad also own U.S. dollar businesses and need U.S. dollar funding. Therefore, an offshore U.S. dollar money market exists and incorporates, among other participants, foreign banks and foreign branches of U.S. banks. The blog also mentions that these offshore entities also use foreign exchange swaps, and I'll explain what those are in a few minutes. But the blog points out that the administered rates, so these policy rates that the Federal Reserve uses, basically, they don't intervene directly in these offshore markets, but these rates influence it. But could it be that these offshore dollar markets are so big now that they are actually influencing these policy rates and taking control of them. The BIS, it's an organization that's owned by 60 central banks. It was established in 1930. Their mission is to serve central banks in the pursuit of monetary and financial stability. There was a report, their quarterly report from September 2017, written by Claudio Borio. Robert McCauley and Patrick McGuire. They write, Every day, trillions of dollars are borrowed and lent in various currencies. Many deals take place in the cash market through loans and securities. But foreign exchange derivatives, mainly FX swaps, currency swaps, and closely related forwards also create debt-like obligations. The piece describes each of those. A foreign exchange swap, an FX swap, is where two parties exchange two currencies and commit the reverse exchange within a year. So they're just exchanging currencies within a year. A currency swap is like that, except that not only do they exchange currency, but they exchange principal and interest payment streams. That's what a currency swap is, and typically they're longer term. And then a forward contract is just an agreed exchange two currencies at a pre-agreed future date and price. Now, this FX market for foreign exchange, essentially hedging, is huge. The BIS estimates that it is $10.7 trillion or more. And there's separately about $10.7 trillion of on-balance sheet debt that is held offshore, essentially entities outside of the U.S. that have borrowed in dollars. And about two-thirds of that is hedged. So they're having to enter into these currency swaps, these foreign exchange swaps. But apart from that, there's at least another $10 trillion of essentially short-term debt obligations that don't even show up on balance sheets. They write, these transactions are functionally equivalent to borrowing and lending in the cash market. 
Yet the corresponding debt is not shown on the balance sheet and thus remains obscured. As a result, we know little about it. How much is owed? By whom? And for what purpose? Trade? Hedging? Asset liability matching? Market making? So we have this huge market of offshore dollar-denominated debt and dollar-denominated currency hedging. And it exists because so much of trade is done in U.S. dollars. The BIS estimates that 35% of trade around the globe is financed by banks. You have these global supply chains that create a huge amount of working capital to keep them functioning. Hyun Song Shin, he's the economic advisor and head of research at BIS. He gave this example of jugglers, where jugglers throw their balls in the air. And that's what these value chains are like. They're keeping all these balls going, often through debt financing. 80% of this global value chain that is bank finance is bank financed in U.S. dollars. And as a result, these companies have to service this U.S. dollar debt. He points out that when credit conditions tighten, when banks are less willing to lend in dollars, it becomes harder to keep these balls juggling. And the businesses have to pull back and reduce the amount that they produce. It actually can lead to a slowing economy because you're not able to get the debt financing. Why don't they borrow in something else? Why borrow in dollars? Well, they're borrowing dollars because the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency. And so much of trade, when they're paying invoices, takes place in dollars. When they're buying inventory, takes place in dollars. Jeff Snyder of Alhambra Investments writes, As in any basic economic circumstance, confronted by liquidity fears and uncertainty, liquidity suppliers will respond by pulling back what they offer, their supply. What he's getting at is the willingness of financial entities, including banks, to lend in the offshore dollar market. It can go through periods of contraction where they're not wanting to lend as much. And Snyder continues, that transmits as feedback back into the monetary system as well as forward out into the real economy. It can become a self-reinforcing vicious cycle, whereby liquidity fears lead to real constraints on global trade, which reduce economic output more broadly, therefore confirming the concerns behind uncertainty. Is that what is happening now? When we look at global PMI, the J.P. Morgan Global Manufacturing PMI, this is a survey asking companies around the world how businesses, what are your hiring plans, what about your new orders, what about inventory levels? It is below 50 now. It is not deep in contraction territory, but clearly stagnating and slowing. One reason could be the inability of these global supply chains to access the dollars they need and the fact that the cost of hedging their dollar exposure has increased significantly. It's more expensive to hedge your dollar exposure. Now, before we look at the ramifications of this and what to do about it, 
Let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. One of the leading ways to borrow short-term in the offshore dollar market is through repurchase agreements or repos. This is collateralized lending, where a borrower will borrow money in dollars but need to put up collateral. The type of collateral depends on the trust that the lender has in the borrower. But when there is a flight to safety, when there's increased uncertainty, the repo lenders, they want what Snyder calls more pristine forms of collateral, U.S. Treasury securities. He writes, primarily safe assets are in demand largely due to perceived liquidity risk among global financial participants. Snyder believes the desire of financial entities, they want more pristine collateral in the current environment. They're willing to lend less and they want more collateral. And the result is that pushes down interest rates, particularly U.S. interest rates, which have had a huge move in 2019. We've talked about what drives interest rates. It's the expectation regarding the future path of short-term interest rates. And clearly, market participants believe the Federal Reserve is going to cut rates and cut them again. 
That they believe. The other thing that drives it is inflation expectations. What do participants in the bond market believe inflation will be going forward? And inflation expectations have, have been shrinking. There have been less. The third element is what's known as a term premium. The idea that investors want additional compensation for unexpected inflation and for actions by the central banks that were also unexpected. But Snyder suggests that this liquidity-driven need to own dollars and have higher, more pristine collateral also puts downward pressure on interest rates. So that's one impact of a global dollar shortage. The fact that banks, banks primarily create dollars through their lending activity. And if overseas banks and U.S. banks with overseas subsidiaries are willing to lend less, that reduces the supply of dollars. And if they want more pristine collateral, that can put downward pressure on interest rates. If there's less of a willingness to allow offshore entities to hedge their dollar exposure, that increases the cost. Ned Davis research, a graph I found, shows that the three-month dollar hedge cost from euro to U.S. dollars is 2.79%. I believe that's an annualized rate. But essentially, if you're a European business, you want to hedge your U.S. dollar exposure, you're paying 2.79%. That's a lot. The other impact of this is a global dollar shortage can push up the value of the dollar. There's a lot of fear that the dollar is going to collapse out there, and I've done episodes on that. But the reality is, if the dollar is so widely used to where there's $10 trillion of borrowing in U.S. dollars by non-U.S. companies and households, and there's another $10 trillion or more of businesses hedging their dollar exposure in derivative contracts that aren't even on their balance sheet, that's a lot of pressure on the dollar, the demand for the dollar, particularly if a bank calls loans where these businesses have to scramble to raise dollars to pay back some of their short-term financing. And what that leads to is something's really odd going on in the money markets. Why is this Fed fund's effective rate higher than the interest rate that the Federal Reserve pays on these reserves. Jeff Snyder writes that something is going on in the funding market and the Federal Reserve has no idea what it is. It's too complicated. It's extremely complicated. Head of research at BIS, Hyun Song Shin, writes, behind the financial channel of exchange rates is a dense matrix of financial claims in dollars. The global economy is a matrix not a collection of islands, and the matrix does not respect geography. A European bank lending dollars to an Asian borrower by drawing dollars from a U.S. money market fund has its liabilities in New York and assets in Asia, but headquarters in London or Paris. This is a big deal. The U.S. dollar, a fiat currency, not backed by anything, for decades has been created in an unlimited supply, and the amounts overseas are huge. So large that it could be the Federal Reserve isn't able to control monetary policy 
like it wants to, control interest rates like it wants to, because it's gotten so big and so complex. That's why the Federal Reserve Bank in New York and their blog post calls it a puzzle. Hyun Songshin calls it a matrix. What do we do about it? Well, we keep trying to learn because it's complicated. At least be aware of it. And make sure, and I've emphasized this in the past, that not all of our currency is dollars. Own some gold. Perhaps own some cryptocurrency. Have your international stock exposure. Have some of it unhedged to where you benefit from the dollar weakening if you're a U.S.-based investor and have some of your non-U.S. stock exposure hedged so you protect it if the dollar strengthens because these forces can go both ways. It could lead to a stronger dollar given the demand for it as part of this flight to safety. Or it could lead to a weaker dollar if investors realize maybe the Federal Reserve doesn't have as much control over monetary policy as they thought. That what is happening offshore, that the Federal Reserve isn't able to impact directly, is controlling things now. It's a scary thought. We'll see. We'll see if this is really that scary or it's like the rough grouse and it's just somebody beating their wings and it isn't that big a deal. I don't know. I don't know. Finally, the other thing that's impacting it that soaks up dollars is the fact that the U.S. government is running a larger and larger deficit so that the U.S. government's issuing more and more treasuries. How do you get treasuries? How do you invest in treasuries? What do you need? You need dollars. If you're an overseas investor, you need dollars. And that leads to a strengthening dollar. And it leads potentially, if if the supply gets too big, that can put upward pressure on interest rates. At the same time, you have downward pressure on interest rates because the demand for collateral, pristine collateral for these repo agreements is increasing. All these forces. It's a matrix. It's a puzzle. It's complex. And we need to to be aware of it and diversify our currency exposure. We diversify the return drivers in our investment portfolio and we'll see how it evolves. But in the meantime, it directly impacts us because the Federal Reserve appears to be cutting interest rates and will potentially go back to quantitative easing or do other measures to get more dollar liquidity outside of the U.S. There's a reason the Federal Reserve is going around and doing a listening tour and looking at their other policy tools, like we talked about in episode 246. We took a close look at central banks there. That episode was about central banks might not know as much as we think. This is a follow-up to that. Central banks might not have as much control, even over the simplest thing where they're supposed to have control, to be able to set the effective Fed funds rate relative to other policy rates. And they're not apparently able to do that as well as they've been able to in the past because it's not doing what they wanted it to do. We'll see how it turns out. That's episode 
260. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll email those links to you each week, along with a summary article on something related to investing the economy and money. Some of the best writing I do each week. You can just get that on that email list. The only way you're going to get that. And you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.